Well, a good morning to you, and I want to welcome you to Wheat Among the Tares, our program here from the studios of Gethsemane Global Radio in Lexington, South Carolina. Thank you so much for joining me here this morning. Pastor is on a break, and uh, he will not be with us today. I have a story this morning, and it's part of the series that I had started over the last few months here on Wheat Among the Tares about the testimony of those that have given their lives and those that lived in the past. And they can't be with us to testify, but yet writings about them do testify of their lives. And I'm going to be reading this morning, I'm reading a testimony, if I could put that, a narrative about a man by the name of Dimitri. And Dmitri was a man that lived in Russia in the 1900s. And this was a man that indeed gave his life unto the Lord as a testimony of the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this narrative that I'm going to be reading this morning is from the book entitled The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin that was published in 2013, and I read this book several years ago, and I remember this particular account, and it so moved my heart, and uh, as a matter of just something coming back to my mind, and I had been thinking about this for the last several weeks, and it continued to be put on my mind, so I thought I would take the time to share this with you, our listeners, this morning on Wheat Among the Tares. It's the story, again, of a man who lived in Russia who, uh, as a child, came to know the Lord, and through the years how he was grown in the things of the Lord and actually became a preacher himself. And I'm going to let the narrative speak for itself, and I'm going to begin with um, how his life began in a small Russian village. It says here, We finally arrived at a small Russian village and stopped in front of a tiny dwelling. Dmitri opened the door and graciously welcomed us into his tiny home. I want you to sit here, he instructed me. This was where I was sitting when the authorities came to arrest me and send me to prison for 17 years. Mr. Ripkin, as he is the director of the narrative here, he says, I settled in and listened with rapt attention as Dimitri related his unforgettable personal story over the next few hours. Dimitri told me that he had been born and raised in a believing family. His parents had taken him to church as a child. Over the decades, he explained, communism slowly destroyed most of the churches and places of worship. Many pastors were imprisoned or killed. By the time he was grown, Dimitri told me, the nearest remaining church building was a three-day walk away. 
It was impossible for his family to attend church more than once or twice a year. One day, Dimitri told me, I said to my wife, you'll probably think that I am insane. I know that I have no religious training whatsoever, but I am concerned that our sons are growing up without learning about Jesus. This may sound like a crazy idea, but what would you think if just one night a week we gathered the boys together so I could read them a Bible story and try to give them a little of the training they are missing because we no longer have a real church? What Dimitri didn't know was that his wife had been praying for years that her husband would do something like that. She readily embraced his idea. He started teaching his family one night a week. Dimitri would read from the old family Bible. Then he would try to explain what he had just read so that his children could understand. As he relearned and retold the Bible stories, his sons soon began helping with the task. Eventually, the boys and Dimitri and his wife were telling the familiar stories back and forth to each other. The more they learned, the more the children seemed to enjoy their family worship time. Eventually, the boys started asking for more. Papa, can we sing those songs that they sing when we go to the real church? So Dimitri and his wife taught them the traditional songs of their faith. It seemed a natural progression for the family not only to read the Bible and sing, but also to take time to pray together. And they began to do that. Nothing could be hidden for long in small villages. Houses were close together and windows were often open. Neighbors began noticing what was going on with Dimitri's family. Some of them asked if they could come and listen to the Bible stories and sing the familiar songs. Dimitri protested that he was not trained to do this. He wasn't a minister. His excuse didn't seem to dissuade his neighbors, and a small group began gathering to share in the reading and telling and discussing of Bible stories and to sing and pray together. By the time the little group grew to 25 people, the authorities had noticed. Local party officials came to see Dimitri, They threatened him physically, which was to be expected. What upset Dimitri much more was their accusation, you have started an illegal church. How can you say that, he argued. I have no religious training. I am not a pastor. This is not a church building. We are just a group of family and friends getting together. All we are doing is reading and talking about the Bible, singing, praying, and sometimes sharing what money we have to help out our poor neighbor. How can you call that a church? The communist official told Dimitri, We don't care what you call it, but this looks like a church to us, and if you don't stop it, bad things are going to happen. When the group grew to 50 people, the authorities made good on their threats. I got fired from my factory job, Dimitri recounted. My wife lost her teaching position. My boys were expelled from school. And, he added, little things like that. When the number of people grew to 75, there was no place for everyone to sit. 
Villagers stood shoulder to shoulder, cheek to cheek inside the house. They pressed close in around the windows on the outside so they could listen as this man of God led the people of God in worship. Then one night as Dimitri spoke, the door to his house suddenly, violently burst open. An officer and soldiers pushed through the crowd. The officers grabbed Dimitri by the shirt, slapped him rhythmically back and forth across the face, slammed him against the wall, and said in a cold voice, We have warned you and warned you and warned you. I will not warn you again. If you do not stop this nonsense, this is the least that is going to happen to you. As the officer pushed his way back toward the door, a small grandmother took her life in her hand, stepped out and waved a finger in the officer's face. Sounding like an Old Testament prophet, she declared, You have laid hands on a man of God, and you will not survive. That happened on a Tuesday evening, and on Thursday night, the officer dropped dead of a heart attack. The fear of God swept through the community. At the next house church service, more than 150 people showed up. The authorities couldn't let this continue, so Dimitri went to jail for 17 years. I knew because Dimitri was sitting right in front of me in his own home that this particular persecution story was ultimately a story of survival and victory. This story would obviously have a happy ending, but that didn't mean that the story was going to be nice or easy to hear. Indeed, it was a painful story. Dimitri spoke quietly of long, heart-wrenching separation. He spoke of sweat, blood, and tears. He talked about sons growing up without their father in the house. He described a poor, struggling family enduring great hardship. This was not the kind of inspirational testimony that we love to celebrate. This was raw, biblical faith. This was the story of one man who refused to let go of Jesus and refused to stop telling the good news to his family and neighbors. As if this was not enough, the rest of Dimitri's story would be one of the most remarkable and life-changing testimonies I have ever heard. The authorities moved Dimitri a thousand kilometers away from his family and locked him in a prison. His cell was so tiny that when he got out of bed, it took but a single step either to get to the door of his cell, to reach the stained and cracked sink mounted on the opposite wall, or to use the foul open toilet in the far corner of the cell. Even worse, according to Dimitri, he was the only believer among 1,500 hardened criminals. He said that his isolation from the body of Christ was more difficult than even the physical torture. And there was much of that. Still, his tormentors were unable to break him. 
Dimitri pointed to two reasons for his strength in the face of torture. There were two spiritual habits that he had learned from his father, disciplines that Dimitri had taken with him into prison. Without these two disciplines, Dimitri insisted his faith would have not survived. For 17 years in prison, every morning at daybreak, Dimitri would stand at attention by his bed. As was his custom, he would face the east, raise his arms in praise to God, and then he would sing a heart song to Jesus. The reaction of the other prisoners was predictable. Dimitri recounted the laughter, the cursing, the jeers. The other prisoners banged metal cups against the iron bars in angry protest. They threw food and sometimes human waste to try to shut him up and extinguished the only true light shining in that dark place every morning at dawn. There was another discipline too, another custom that Dimitri told me about. Whenever he found a scrap of paper in the prison, he would sneak it back to his cell. There, he would pull out a stub of a pencil or a tiny piece of charcoal that he had saved, and he would write on that scrap of paper, as tiny as he could, all the Bible verses and scriptural stories or songs that he could remember. When the scrap was completely filled, He would walk to the corner of his little jail cell where there was a concrete pillar that constantly dripped water. Except in the wintertime when the moisture became a solid coat of ice on the inside surface of his cell. Dimitri would take the paper fragment, reach as high as he possibly could, and stick it on that damp pillar as a praise offering to God. Of course, whenever one of his jailers spotted a piece of paper on the pillar, he would come into his cell, take it down, read it, beat Dimitri severely, and threaten him with death. Still, Dimitri refused to stop his two disciplines. Every day he rose at dawn to sing his song, and every time he found a scrap of paper, he filled it with scripture and praise. This went on year after year, after year. His guards tried to make him stop. The authorities did unspeakable things to his family. At one point, they even led him to believe that his wife had been murdered and that his children had been taken by the state. They taunted him cruelly. We have ruined your home. Your family is gone. Dimitri's resolve finally broke. He told God that he could not take any more. He admitted to his guards, You win. I will sign any confession that you want me to sign. I must get out of here to find out where my children are. They told Dimitri, We will prepare your confession tonight, and then you will sign it tomorrow. Then you will be free to go. After all those years, 
The only thing that he had to do was sign his name on a document saying that he was not a believer in Jesus and that he was a paid agent of Western governments trying to destroy the USSR. Once he put his signature on that dotted line, he would be free to go. Dmitri repeated his intention. Bring it tomorrow, and I will sign it. That very night, he sat on his jail cell bed. He was in deep despair, grieving the fact that he had given up. At that same moment, a thousand kilometers away, his family, Dmitri's wife, his children who were growing up without him, and his brother, sensed through the Holy Spirit the despair of this man in prison. His loved ones gathered together around the very place where he was sitting the night he was taken. They knelt in a circle and began to pray out loud for him. Miraculously, the Holy Ghost of the living God allowed Dimitri to hear the voices of his loved ones as they prayed. The next morning, when the guards marched into his cell with the documents, Dimitri's back was straight, his shoulders were squared, and there was strength on his face and in his eyes. He looked at his captors and declared, I am not signing anything. The guards were incredulous. They had thought that he was beaten and destroyed. What happened? They demanded to know. Dimitri smiled and told them, In the night, God let me hear the voices of my wife and my children and my brother praying for me. You lied to me. I know now that my wife is alive and physically well. I know that my sons are with her. I also know that they are all still in Christ, so I am not signing anything. His persecutors continued to discourage and silence him. Dimitri remained faithful. He was overwhelmed one day by a special gift from God's hand. In the prison yard, he found a whole sheet of paper And God, Dimitri said, had laid a pencil beside it. Dimitri went on, I rushed back to my jail cell and I wrote every scripture reference, every Bible verse, every story and every song I could recall. I knew that it was probably foolish, Dimitri told me, but I couldn't help myself. I filled both sides of the paper with as much of the Bible as I could I reached up and stuck the entire sheet of paper on that wet concrete pillar. Then I stood and looked at it. To me, it seemed like the greatest offering I could offer the Lord from my prison cell. Of course, my jailer saw it. I was beaten and punished. I was threatened with execution. Dimitri was dragged from his cell. As he was dragged down the corridor in the center of the prison, the strangest thing happened. Before they reached the door leading to the courtyard, before stepping out into the place of execution, 1,500 hardened criminals stood at attention by their beds. They faced the east 
and they began to sing. Dimitri told me that it sounded to him like the greatest choir in all of human history. 1,500 criminals raised their arms and began to sing the heart song that they had heard Dimitri sing to Jesus every morning for all those years. Dimitri's jailers instantly released their hold on his arms and stepped away from him in terror. One of them demanded to know, Who are you? Dimitri straightened his back and stood as tall and as proud as he could. He responded, I am a son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. The guards returned him to his cell. Sometime later, Dimitri was released and returned to his family. Folks, I trust that The account of Dmitri, the man who stood in a Russian prison cell for 17 years and did not give up, though he struggled, though he gave in sometime, yet God in his mercy came to him in his time of weakness and strengthened him in his resolve to stand for the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The story of Demetri. I trust that it has been an inspiration, a help, and an encouragement to you this day. The story of a man who gave and yielded himself unto the Lord. Well, I want to thank you for joining us this morning for Wheat Among the Tares. It's always our pleasure to bring these programs to you every Wednesday morning here on Gethsemane Global Radio. May the Lord bless you. Pray for us here. And I trust you'll have a blessed day in the Lord.